Howdy folks, Mackenzie Taylor here, Senior Editor of The Texan. Welcome to a special edition of The Texan's Voices of Texas podcast. Our reporting team spent most of last week covering the Texas GOP convention and chatted with dozens of elected officials, candidates, and insiders. This is the second installment in a series of podcasts with those conversations, and this particular episode is a compilation of the interviews with elected officials from all over the state. From statewide positions to congressional leaders, local office holders, and those who legislate from Austin. Be on the lookout for a couple more episodes dropping soon, and enjoy these chats. Well, howdy, folks. I'm here with Julian Ramirez, a candidate for a position in Harris County here for the, I believe, 248th Criminal District Court. Is that correct? That's right. Harris County. Very, very cool. So tell us real fast about what office you're running for and why you're running for office. Well, I'm running for one of the criminal court benches here in Harris County because we've got a public safety problem. I was happily semi-retired when I was approached a few months ago and I took a look at it and really came to the conclusion that it was a lot worse than I had thought. And it's only gotten worse since then um, with judges releasing dangerous defendants on multiple felony bonds. And yeah. then they go out and they pick up additional murder charges. You know, Crime Stoppers is keeping track. And I don't know what we're up to now. It may be close to 170 people that have been murdered. Yeah, I think it's like 175 as of like yesterday. Yes. Yeah. It, it just It just keeps getting worse and worse. And so I've been in public service all my life trying to keep the community safe. And I thought, you know what? I don't have a good reason not to run. Uh, let me jump in this and, and see if we can't get some better judges elected. That's wonderful. So talk to us a little bit about what you're looking forward to at convention, what you're doing here. Are you here as a delegate? What, 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 what will this week look like for I, you? I am not a delegate. I am here just to talk to you guys and answer all your questions and then walk around and check out all the booths and just see what I see. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, convention is the place to do that. Um, so talk to us. You know, judicial races often so you know go under the radar. It's not something that a lot of voters, even the most engaged voters in Texas, pay much attention to talk to us about why judicial races are important and what these judges actually do day to day well you know I, I think the offices that most commonly affect the average everyday person are the courts you know whether they're criminal courts if you happen to be a victim or a witness or a family court you know if you happen to be embroiled in a divorce or a, a custody dispute a civil civil court you know you happen to get sued yeah or someone rear ends you or something like that um, they affect all of us most commonly and uh, they do sort of fly under the radar unfortunately yeah so how do you get people to pay attention to these races I mean these oftentimes are so far down the ballot I'm sure there's some voter fatigue that goes into that of being you know discouraged to go all the way down to the end of the ballot well right commonly there's so much undervoting that goes on folks look for the most high-profile races and then they they look at the judicial races and and their mind goes you know crazy And and, uh, there's so many of them. There's 68 of them in Harris County, right? So we're trying to work together as Republicans. 68 judicial positions? Yes, on the ballot. Wow. So we're trying to work together as judicial candidates to just just get the word out to the party faithful that, look, you have to vote all the way down the ballot every single race. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we will not take back the courthouse. And things will remain as, as they are, or well, get worse. Particularly in light of straight ticket voting no longer being an option here in Texas for both parties, right? Straight ticket voting is not something you can just go in and click the button and have all the races highlighted for you in the booth. It's not an option anymore. That's right. So in terms of Harris County, I mean, 
third largest county in, I believe, the country. Huge population. A lot of things are always happening. We can't keep up with all the news in Harris County, and our reporter, Holly Hansen, does a great job of trying her best to stay up to date on everything. But when you're seeing, when you're out there campaigning, when you're talking to voters, when you're, you know, working toward the November ballot, Harris County, uh, even just a few years ago, had some Republican judges on different courts, and were lar- those were largely uh, wiped out by Democrats. What are you seeing on the ground? Are we likely to see that again? Will the midterm being a factor and that, you know, Joe Biden is president? Midterms often favor the party that is not in the White House. Do you think that will be a factor? What are you seeing on the ground in Harris County? Well, I see a lot of dissatisfaction and concern and anger over the crime problem. You see it even on the other side in the Democrats' own party. A bunch of their incumbents got tossed out. They got primaried and they lost their primaries and they're no longer going to be judges next year. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we're seeing a lot of dissatisfaction all across the board. We're just trying to get the message out that, look, judges are only accountable to the voters. They're kings and queens of their court. And the only way you make a change is by getting involved, going to vote, and, and voting uh, in the right way. Absolutely. Well, Julian, thank you so much for stopping by, and we will continue to chat with you throughout convention, but thanks for making the time to stop by and say hello to us. You bet. Thank you for having me. Well, I am here with Nate Schatzlein, the Republican nominee for Texas House District 93. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm honored. I'm excited to be on. That's awesome. Kim said to say hello to you. She awesome. chatted with yes. you before, yes. so we're excited that you were able to join. And I'm taking her spot. Usually, she'd be the one to talk with you, but she's up in Tarrant County doing Tarrant County things. Awesome. So, um, I'd love to talk through a little bit about your campaign specifically. Absolutely. Very interesting. You just got off of a runoff that was a heck of a, a race up thank there in you. Tarrant County. It was intense. It, it was. It was a lot. It <laughs> seemed like it was all the way down here in Austin. Austin, yeah. But talk to us a little bit about the political divide of that particular race. I think it very clearly highlighted kind of the factions of the Republican Party. Sure. We had a local government official. We had a political newcomer. Those are two very different types of candidates. Yeah. Very different support for both candidates. Yeah. Talk to us about how that all shook out. Yeah, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, I think Tarrant County specifically, North Fort Worth area, which is where District 93 is with the Hazlitt area, a little bit of Keller. Um, they're looking for uh, uh, someone who's going to get in there and actually take a stand on some of the issues that are seem to be infiltrating our country, infiltrating our schools, whether it be, you know, the issue with, you know, the entire trans movement coming against our kids in the schools, CRT invading our schools. These these happen to be the issues that I'm the most passionate about. I have a background in education. I've taught on a collegiate level and I've seen these things firsthand. I've seen that if we don't get this under control, with our public education system, with you know even our private education system, and make sure that parents have the final say in their education, um, we're going to be in big trouble. And so I'll be honest with you, I think the biggest divide between the way I ran my race and my opponent was simply that I didn't say the normal political things that were you know on everyone's brain of hey we gotta let's look at the economy those are important things but the reality is I feel like what we did is we spoke directly to the parent that is incredibly concerned with the next generation because the reality is this do we need property tax reform God yes I mean we truly do Tarrant County has some of the highest property taxes but what good is it to lower property taxes if we lose the next generation mm. I think we spoke directly to that inside of our campaign and and it showed I think the, the voters wanted that. 
and I think those issues particularly have been some of the hottest that we've yeah. seen in Texas in the last year or two years. So let's talk about them. Child gender modification. Yep. Explicit materials in public schools. Yes. Uh, school choice is even kind of on that docket. Be- I'm a big proponent. Because it affects those kinds of things. Yeah. Those three issues, where do you stand on them? So school choice, I'm a huge proponent. I met with uh, some state legislators that are currently in the House uh, about two weeks ago. Um, we talked through how we could actually get that passed. Um, we're looking at, you know, the big argument, I'll just speak directly to this because reality is I was the grassroots candidate and the grassroots movement is even kind of split on this specific topic with school choice because their idea is, hey, we don't want the government being able to put any regulation on our homeschooling, on our private schools, and I completely agree. But my argument would be uh, they could do that if they wanted to right now anyway. And so why not give parents who can't afford to put their kids in a private school the opportunity to do so? Um, And here's the thing that I always say, because then you have the other side of people who are huge proponents of public education system, which obviously we, we want our public education to succeed. Fort Worth has some of the worst test scores you've ever seen. And so we're looking at it competition has never hurt any industry and it's never hurt any business we have to look at our ISDs the same way that the moment you give parents the opportunity to have competition in that education system Fort Worth ISD which speaks directly to where I live is gonna have to raise the bar and raise the standard in order to compete with these private schools with home schools with co-ops this is so vital so I'm a huge proponent when it comes to making sure that school choice is a priority um, gender modification is huge um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary what is a woman but it's it's revealing it, it's revealing at how absolutely outrageously crazy some of our nation has gone um, and I think it's a small minority I think they're very loud but I think it's a small minority um, and you see the massive regret with some of these adults that are now coming out and saying wow I can't believe my parent my guardian allowed me to get this surgery that now has affected my life in such a negative way that they're now dealing with mental health crisis and this is something we have to address that you know as an adult you can do whatever you want you know when it comes to your own physical body um, but as a child, we've got to protect these children from making lifelong decisions over a moment of having a feeling. Um, and I think that breaks down into critical theory and going into your next uh, question about critical race theory. If we teach critical theory, the underlying basis of this concept in the education system is simply that, you know, how you feel is your truth. Well, that's simply not true. It doesn't matter if I feel like this ceiling is white. It's clearly black. And so you have to call it what it is because truth is absolute. And so I'm a huge proponent of school choice. I think it's a big deal. And we've got to take a stand against gender modification. Very good. So in terms of other priorities upon entering office, it sounds like social issues are very near and dear to your Huge. heart. What other things are you looking to tackle upon? We've got to make sure our small businesses are helped. We have to make sure that we can remove all government overreach. I'm a big limited government guy. So anything we can do to free up small business growth is huge. Anything we can do to, you know, a lot of people talk about, especially in District 93, you know, we're a middle upper class district. Um, we've got uh, a lot of uh, warehouses, uh, you know, we're right off I-35. Um, and so obviously infrastructure is a big issue when it comes comes to the road systems and and the massive growth that's coming. Um, But a lot of people want to talk about, we need Fortune 500 companies to come into Fort Worth. Well, I actually am on the other side, and I think that's great, 
but I also want to guard the culture that we have in District 93. And rather than just putting our sole focus on bringing large companies in, one of the big things I think that is important is making sure our small businesses have the ability to grow to be a Fortune 500 company. And I think the more we support small businesses, the greater. So any type of government regulation we can remove is huge to me. Other priorities, um, lowering property taxes is huge. And so, uh, you know, we've been talking about it for session after session after session. I'm actually dedicated to getting in and doing something about it. Uh, we're going to have to address the shooting in Uvalde. Um, and so, but, you know, taking away guns is never the answer. And so it's looking at how can we resource schools for protection and safety? How can we uh, tackle mental health issues and make sure that we are addressing if a student showing signs of mental health crisis, let's give them the resources they, they need and make sure that that small population of people that would actually commit a heinous crime like that are seen so that we can address the issue, protect our children, whether that's arming teachers, whether that's uh, making sure that we have officers in every single school, we have got to make it a priority. And then lastly, I'll say this. I know I've gone way too long, You're but fine. the border crisis is huge right now. So near and dear to my heart is the anti-human trafficking movement. Um, I'm very involved in that in Fort Worth. And so looking at it, you know, people love to make the border crisis a race issue, when in reality it has nothing to do with race, everything to do with trafficking. Um, right now we have the largest supply of fentanyl coming across our border. We have the most arrests for human trafficking uh, in Tarrant County. The most arrests that have been had in Texas is happening in our county right here. This right here is a massive crisis in our nation. Um, and it's going to affect every single area, whether it be you know jobs, whether it be the housing crisis. The reality is we don't even have the infrastructure to be able to support the millions of people that have crossed over the border illegally. And so getting down to the bottom of this, working with the governor, making sure that we put in solid legislation to secure that border is going to have to be a priority. Obviously, growth is a very big deal in Tarrant County as Huge. well. Just Texas, period. What can the state do? What should the state do, if anything, to address that need? I think it's going to come down to infrastructure. I think it's also going to come down to make sure, um, you know, when we talk about inflation, when we talk about uh, really supply chain shortages are killing us right now. So um, my wife's a realtor, and th the reality is, is like, she's being bought out by investors um, and then the, the reality is there's not enough supply to build houses quick enough in Tarrant County to be able to build enough homes for the supply that's there so uh, or for the need that's there and so I think making sure that we're you know helping out again those businesses making sure that we're removing regulations making sure that um, we're, we're protecting these companies that supply all of the supplies needed construction companies these are the types of people we need to be honestly working very closely with hearing out their needs and being willing to listen and so I'm dedicated to doing just that last question for you before I let you get back to your your life here at convention but I would love to ask going into November Tarrant County has been a hotbed of political activity for a long time yeah it's you know hung its hat on being the largest Republican urban suburban county in yeah. the country where do you see that going we have seen Democrats win the county in different offices throughout sure. the last four years what do you think this will look like as a midterm election for oh, Republicans we got a red wave coming I'm totally confident it this is this is going to be the best uh what i believe could be the best session that we have but more than anything we have so many hardcore conservatives that have risen up and ran for these seats and i think the voters have spoken loud and clear they are winning left and right our race included and so looking at it you know i look at people like tim o'hare who just won tarrant county judge what a, what a patriot he's going to bring so much common sense to that office I look at phil sorrels who just came in as district attorney um, uh, for the republican nominee these are the races we need to get behind and i'm telling you i truly believe there's going to be a red wave in tarrant county that far exceeds anyone's expectation i know this last election cycle presidential election cycle we saw a little bit of a shift towards blue 
I, I think that's over. I think Joe Biden's failed policies have exposed to Tarrant County that we cannot let Tarrant County go blue. Nate, thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, you got it. Thanks so much. Hello, everybody. This is Brad Johnson, reporter with the Texan News. Here I've got uh, State Rep. Mays Middleton, soon to be moving over to the State Senate, um, here with me. Mays, how's it going? It's going great. Oh, it's fun to be back at convention in person, finally. Yeah, after uh, everything that happened in 2020, thank God we're here. Um, so you are, as I mentioned, making the jump from the State House to the State Senate. You have no opponent in, in November, I believe, right? Um, and so... You have a lot of time to prepare, basically. What's that transition going to be like for you making that jump? Well, we're going ahead and getting ready for next session. You know, it's um, one member can do a whole lot more uh, for conservative legislation in the Senate than they can in the House. You know, and that's one of the biggest differences is, you know, that part of the conservative movement where there's just so much more you can accomplish. Yeah. Um, and I've worked very closely with the Senate for years. Uh, my very first session was... Uh, SB 29 uh, picked up the ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying. That was at that time Bob Hall, uh, and that was my first big bill yep. uh, to carry to the House floor. So uh, we know what happened there, where yeah. they it uh, got 58 votes. It had 18 Republicans vote no, and the gallery was filled with taxpayer-funded lobbyists that cheered when it failed. Yeah, that's the Austin Swamp right there. Well, that's one of your biggest issues, if not the biggest. Um, what it, with you moving to the Senate? Obviously, you're going to still work on that. Um, what's what's that move going to be like for this issue? Is there any are any changes up your sleeve on strategy on this? We've seen how important it is. Um, I don't know if everyone followed exactly what happened with the National Taxpayer-Funded Lobby Group, uh, National Association of School Boards. Um, so basically, they lied and they asked Joe Biden to investigate concerned parents as domestic terrorists under the Patriot Act. Uh, they said, well, actually, we, we walked that back a little bit. That's not true. We found out more information that they actually wanted the National Guard to go into school board meetings to silence parents. And the FBI did follow through on that. It was later proven, I believe Jim Jordan put out a letter uh, through public information request to show that the FBI, FBI had EDU threat. And, like, for example, they investigated one mom because they said she, quote-unquote, owned a gun. Wow. Right? So they used it to attack parents. They're using it to treat parents like the enemy. They're using it to treat taxpayers like the enemy. So this issue has really blown up in the last year because we've seen the abuses by taxpayer-funded lobby groups like TASB is one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the member of the National School Board Association. And you're not going to be surprised to hear this, but TASB's former president, former president of Texas Association of School Boards, which is a taxpayer-funded lobby group here in Texas, it's the president of the National School Board Association who sent that letter to Joe Biden's AG to investigate wow. parents. Didn't uh, TASB, haven't they since uh, removed themselves from the National uh, School Board? They were about the 26th state yeah. to do that after California, I might add. So, I mean, that's not really after quite a bit leadership of exactly to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they waited for more than half to leave until they finally decided that was enough for yeah. them so you know but we keep seeing this like last session you know we passed the ban on critical race theory so the first one passed in may then we did it again to strengthen the bill and sp3 which i believe september 1st was when that was signed into law 
Well, after we did all of that, the Texas Association of School Boards voted to integrate critical race theory in their statement of beliefs in mid-September after we'd passed both bans. And I sent them a letter, and the Freedom Caucus did sign on as well and said, you know, you're violating the law. And they said, no, we're not a political subdivision of the state. Uh, we're allowed to do this. So, you know, it's just wrong. It's wrong. And that brings us to another big issue that is going to hold a lot of prominence when you guys reconvene next year, school choice. Um, you are very much a supporter of school choice. You know, tell, talk to us more about the issue, why uh, you support it, and why you, where you think it's going to go in the legislature. This is one of the most basic fundamental rights. You know, rights as parents are from God and not government, and we need to let parents decide. And that's really all this does, is it puts the tools in the hands of Texas parents, and it's saying, we trust you. You're hearing the opposite from D.C. where they're saying they don't trust parents and they don't want parents to decide and they're actually treating them like the enemy. So it's time for Texas to stand up and say, no, we're going to trust you and we're going to give you more tools to decide which education is best for your own child and your own child's unique needs. And that's really all it is. Mm -hmm. That's what education opportunity is. And I'll never forget when I first got involved in this issue in 2017, uh, it's actually when, when I noticed how bad the taxpayer-funded lobbyists were because the, in the education committee in the Senate, it was SB, I think, 3 at the time in 2017 was loaded with taxpayer-funded lobbyists that were paid to go fight parents and what parents wanted. And it's just sad. It's sad we're having to pay for that, and it's time for Texas to stand up and lead on this. You know, we're, I think we'd be the 31st state to pass some form of school choice program. Right now, of course, we have charter schools, which is a form of public school choice because, yep. you know, charter schools are public schools. But we need more tools on the table. We just need parents to decide whatever's best for their own child, whether that's public, private, homeschool, uh, charter, you name it. So the, the word that has come to describe it is voucher system, right? In some circles, it draws a negative connotation. In others, it doesn't. Um, is that something that you support? Um, is that a model you think is, is appropriate here? I support whenever we're going to put more tools on the table, okay. but a, a voucher is kind of outdated. You know, that's okay. basically what we saw in the 90s and early 2000s where you get a something from the state and then you can go, you know, money follows a child only to a private school. Okay. You know, I think we've, we've seen in COVID and everything else going on, we need flexibility. Um, we need money to follow the child. But it should be able to go to, like, uh, community college classes, okay. uh, homeschool curriculum, tutoring, uh, educational therapies, uh, books, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Where they can maybe even, you know, if you're a homeschool uh, parent and there's a really good, say, physics class you don't want to teach or maybe can't teach, mm -hmm. where you can take that money to the public school where they teach physics and you, you like, you know, based on the outcome that you've heard about from mm -hmm. that particular class, and you can pay to, to, to attend, you know, with that money. So the money should follow the child. The money shouldn't follow systems. And that's, okay. that's the big difference. You know, of course, it's uh, Democrats are adamantly against this. Uh, Biden, Beto, you name it, all up mm -hmm. and down, Pelosi. Uh, they all hate it because they don't want parents to get to decide what's best. They want government to decide for parents. And that's wrong. Yeah. Now, with you making the switch to the Senate, that's one less school choice supporter in the House, um, although Terry Leo Wilson, who will be uh, representing your district after succeeding you, is also a school choice supporter. But anyway, um, the Speaker has said before that uh, test votes have been kind of done on the House floor on this issue, and they only had like maybe 45 members in support. What do you think its chances are in the chamber that you're leaving? 
I think they're very good. You know, conservatives did really well in these runoffs on May the 24th. Uh, they pretty much swept, mm-hmm. and nearly everyone that I know that won is a supporter of educational freedom and educational choice and parents' right to decide what's best for their own child. So, you know, this is that's a big change. The other big change is what's happened nationally. You know, I mean, you're seeing this across the country where, you know, like in states like Virginia, you know, that's a Democrat state, but mm-hmm. they elected a Republican governor because he was willing to stand up for parents. Even in San Francisco, which is probably the most liberal one of the most liberal cities in America, Mm. they threw out their school board there because they were treating parents like the enemy there. And they wanted a school board that put parents first. You know, same as Virginia, same as a lot of different places where you're seeing this awakening where I've never seen this many conservatives involved in school board races as well, which is a great thing. So there is an awakening right now Mm. where parents know that it's their time to stand up and make sure their voice is heard first. And they have a fundamental right to decide what's best for their own child. Gotcha. Okay, one more for you. So um, you are the chair of the Texas Freedom Caucus, the group of uh, conservative legislators in the House. Uh, but as we've talked about, you're moving to the Senate. Is there anything that's going to change on that? Is there, is there a Freedom Caucus going to the Senate that you're going to uh, start or um, just continue to work with your colleagues in the lower chamber? Well, there's never been a Freedom Caucus in the Senate, but I'll tell you this, the, uh, the House Freedom Caucus will live on, and it did some great work this past session, and we only have 11 members, but I mean, we had victories like constitutional carry, the ban on critical race theory, protect girls' sports, the no-closing churches, the social media censorship ban. We know Briscoe Kane uh, was instrumental in the election integrity bill and the heartbeat bill, so I mean, it is a lean, mean, but mighty conservative voice in the Texas House, and uh, I'm excited to also see additional conservatives get elected that I believe will end up joining the Texas House Freedom Caucus. So uh, it's got a bright future ahead for it. And look, we need them. At the end of the day, um, you know, this is is a spiritual battle that we're in. It takes a lot of grit to get things done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've proven that again and again, that we we did what we said we were going to do, and we're going to keep that up next session. Okay. Well, Representative Middleton, thanks for stopping by. Um, We look forward to seeing your work in the State Senate once uh, you guys reconvene next year. And um, catch you around. Thanks, Maze. Okay, Senator Buckingham, thank you so much for being willing to talk to us. Uh, First question, what do you think are going to be the top issues in this election now that the primary is over and it's just November in the next the milestone you know our biggest issue is it's the economy it's the liberal policies of the Biden administration that are driving up gas prices driving up grocery prices really hurting all of our families who need the help the most and it is the it is the economy it is jobs it is the regulatory burden the lack of liberty that the liberal left is trying to to carry out over all of us and so we're gonna fight that fight and win in November sure so more specifically to you If elected, which is statistically probable, what would your top priorities be upon taking the office? Well, of course, out of the gate, we're going to be really sure there's no reimagining our history at the Alamo. We're going to be sure we're doing everything we can on state lands to secure our border. We're going to be protecting oil and gas. um, And then we're going to be dealing with the real problems that we've seen from the disaster recovery side. Okay. Um, So... You pulled off a bit of a feat and um, earned endorsements from a lot of your previous competitors in the primary once it went to a runoff. 
if you can, maybe you can talk a little bit about how you did that, what helped convince them. I don't know if you sat down with them or what, or how did you manage to pull that off? You know, we were super excited to have five of our former opponents come around and endorse us. Some of them I've known for a while and had pre-existing relationships with. I really had an appreciation for the perspective and the expertise that each one of them brought to the race, and I was just really glad when we reached back out that they wanted to come on board and help us uh, do great things. Sure. Last thing, is there any aspect of the office's duties that you feel could be better attended to or that are being neglected right now that you'd like to see taken care of once you're you know my my top priority is finding the executive leadership within this organization or bringing it in from outside to be sure that that this agency serves Texans well. It is a big agency with a $2.3 billion budget. We run three big funds, Permanent School Fund, which funds public education. I hear different numbers, but around $60 billion. Then you've got the Permanent University Funds. Then we've got our Veterans Land Board and the funds that take care of that. So it is a big office with lots of responsibilities. I want to get good people in who are going to streamline and make the process efficient and serve Texans well. Sure. That's all I got, Senator Buckingham. All right. Uh, Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's great to be with you. This is Hayden Sparks. I'm here in Houston at the Republican Party of Texas Convention with Lauren Davis, the Republican nominee for a Dallas County judge. Ms. Davis, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is great. Right out of the gate, I'm going to call a spade a spade. Okay. You are facing a formidable opponent. Judge Clay Jenkins is an institution politically Mm -hmm. in Dallas County. How do you, as a conservative in an urban county, plan to take down this high-profile North Texas Democrat? Yes, well, a couple different ways. But one is hard work, and I still think hard work wins out in America. And so a lot of times I'm finding, you know, apathy and that can get the best of the Republicans thinking, oh, it's not winnable. And I'm an entrepreneur. So, you know, I've been fighting uphill battles my whole life. It's hard to stay in business. It's hard to stay in business in COVID. And so the first thing is believing it's winnable and working hard towards that. And so we've got a lot of different strategies and doing all the things we're supposed to. But if we continue to play uh, not to lose or think things aren't winnable, therefore we don't try, we'll continue to lose. You get 100% of the shots you don't take. Absolutely. So we'll go there. So Judge Jenkins has not faced re-election since he instituted all the restrictions during the COVID-19 pandemic. What would you have done differently and how would you handle future public health emergencies as Dallas County Judge? Sure. One, I think you have to look at it holistically and you cannot sit there and take one group's opinion. And to have vaccines and masks and shutdowns be our only option out of this was wrong and immoral so what I would have done different is just when simply not shut down and provide Dallas County residents with all of the information and allowed them and believed in them that they could make their own health decisions um, one of the biggest factors in health in health policy is poverty and so shutting down especially service-based businesses where you have hourly employees to go put them in greater poverty is one of the number one predictors of bad health outcomes. So it was just illogical at its base, and I would never have singularly looked at an issue like that in that way. And so um, I would like to believe that I would have been a leader who would have held the line regardless of the pressure and, um, and stayed open. So it's just simple as that. 
and you have an extensive background as a small business owner. And one of the interesting aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic was the dynamic of even Commissioner Koch and Commissioner Price Mm -hmm. agreeing that Judge Jenkins' measures were not ideal. In Dallas County, there's a lot of division between, for instance, neighborhoods like Highland Park and Oak Cliff, and there's Mm -hmm. debating about equality, racial issues, economic issues. What would you do as Dallas County Judge, which, by the way, is a chief executive. It's a little bit of a misnomer. What would you do as Dallas County Judge to potentially bring Dallas residents around shared values and maybe alleviate this image of Dallas County or Dallas being a a divided uh, community? Yeah, I think one, um, in order, and I've learned this in business, and, and we have a barbershop business called The Jen's Place, and we hire people from all walks of life, from all, you know, um, sexuality perspectives, from all different races, religions, backgrounds, all different. And when you can have a common goal, common shared value of excellence and everybody winning, then you can build on that. And so all of a sudden, some of these things don't matter. And we also don't participate in conversations and fighting that is unproductive and takes our eye off of the main goal. So I think it's having a leader who can hold the vision of everybody winning on excellence, um, empowering everybody in the county to be the best version of themselves and having appreciation for people at all levels of life. I've worked with the homeless and homeless outreach capacities, and I cannot go on the street and help anybody in that current situation of being homeless without appreciating who they are and where they're at right now. I don't look at them and go, you should this or you should that. Um, You know, I heard from a great uh, life coach we had in our life. He said, get rid of that word you should all over yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, but it sticks in my mind. And when you do that to somebody, it's not okay. And so I won't do that to Dallas County. We will appreciate everyone at every level of life they're at right now and then help them with putting in and, and growing the economy in a way that allows people to be the best version of themselves where they want to be. And that's not always the same. Some people don't want to be a manager of a local shop. They just want to work and go home. And we should appreciate that person just as much as a one that wants to rise the ranks and be a CEO one day. Certainly. And so I think that just having that perspective, that value, that's something we've done in our business and seeing people grow at all levels. Um, will make a massive difference in Dallas County and bridge any divide there will be. Well, we've talked a lot about some things that might be wrong in the COVID-19 pandemic, but looking forward to the future, what are some policy priorities that you would institute as the chief executive of a major county in Texas and in the U.S. Mm -hmm. to improve the condition of the county? Yes, well, I look at it from a business perspective because that's where my perspective comes from and there's three metrics right now that aren't going well that need a complete turnaround and any CEO would have been fired a long time ago and that is our population is declining Um, all of the DFW county surrounding counties are increasing and Dallas County's population decreased by 1.1 percent then the poverty well that's decreasing our poverty is increasing the highest of all the counties 13.7 percent and then our crime our homicide, I believe they just came out with this, is up 50%. Our violent crime is up. And those are three metrics that people cannot thrive in. And so I would take and look at all the departments from elections, to human resources, IT, sheriff's department, and evaluate where the efficiencies are. We have um, 6,000 county employees. Are they empowered to be the best version of themselves 
in order to be the best version of Dallas County. I mean, we need to look at those things and, and the results and the turnaround will happen. So if we have people looking at it from that perspective. So, you know, my goal in a, in a policy or improvement or positive perspective is to identify all the things that we can turn those specific metrics around because if we're safe, we're growing, and people are making more money and experiencing less poverty than everything else fixes itself. Well, Ms. Davis, thank you so much for joining us. It's nice to hear about local politics. We've had a lot of discussion about statewide politics, and I lived in Dallas not long ago, so it's nice to hear how things are going in Dallas. Ms. Davis, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Howdy folks, Mackenzie Taylor here with Tim O'Hare, the Republican nominee for Tarrant County Judge. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is always a pleasure to be with y'all. Oh, thank you. So first, I want to talk about the role of the county judge. A lot of folks think it's a judicial position, but talk to us about what the county judge actually does. Well, prior to the pandemic, I mean, almost no one other than political insiders really knew what the county judge does. After the pandemic, with the emergency management powers and the shutdown of all the businesses and the churches, now lots of folks know what the county judge is, know how important it is. It's, uh, it presides over the a commissioner's court. Every county in Texas, all 254 of them, have uh, the, the county government side of the government is controlled by this commissioner's court which is a county judge and four county commissioners so it takes three votes to get anything done on the commissioner's court and county government for those that hadn't put two and two together on this or thought about it county government would be the district attorney's office the sheriff's office the tax assessor's office the district clerk the county clerk and uh for a lot of counties in Texas, there's a lot of rural areas where the sheriff's department actually provides the policing, not like cities. In Tarrant County, it, the sheriff's department also provides some policing. So there's a big law and order component to it. And then the commissioner's court, especially in Tarrant County, sets two different tax rates. Sets the county property tax rate and then sets the hospital district property tax rate. So Tarrant County... Uh, when you combine those two, I call it the combined county rate, has the fifth or sixth highest county tax rate in the state of Texas. So that, that's one of the things that I campaigned on that we've got to bring down. I think everybody knows property taxes are out of control all over the state, and each little governmental entity has to do their part. So county government, in, in addition to the things I described, county judge has the emergency management authority and has – it's a pretty – powerful position in fact you, you could argue outside of the governor that's probably the most powerful executive position a county judge in, in the county well certainly after state, covid yeah. i mean yeah after covid a lot of folks started to know who their county judges were and pay attention to the orders that were coming from there it's like the executive of the county right I that's mean, exactly that's kind right. of how that county works. mayor is probably a better way to describe exactly. it uh, it's, it's uh, and then as you alluded to earlier the in tarrant county the county judge provides no judicial functions, doesn't sit in a robe, doesn't hear trials. In some counties across the, the state, county judges actually do some probate judicial work. Just it doesn't happen that way in Tarrant County. Got it. So your campaign was fascinating for a lot of reasons. There was a very politically divisive campaign, but you had you were running against somebody who was very familiar to a lot of Tarrant County residents, and you still came out on top. Talk to us a little bit about the political dynamics that were at play in your in your campaign. Sure. So we had uh, five people in the race, 
And uh, the the two most known, if you will, were my opponent, uh, my my primary opponent, which was Betsy Price, the former mayor of Fort Worth and former tax assessor of Tarrant County. And then I had been mayor in Farmers Branch, which is actually in Dallas County, where I was born and raised. And uh, then I was the party chair for two years. Uh, so she so she had way more name ID than I did, um, but the, our campaign focused on what matters to today's Republican primary voter. And uh, fortunately, what matters to the majority of today's Republican primary voter aligns with my beliefs and values, I mean, to a T. So we talked about taking back our country, and we talked about stopping the garbage that's being taught in our schools and the pornography in the libraries and stopping CRT. And for those that don't know, um, I was one of the leaders of the effort in Southlake to get critical race theory out of our school district and to overhaul, overturn that school board. And uh, after we were successful doing that in May of 21, other people from school districts around Tarrant County, around the Metroplex, and, and really some around the country came to us and said, how did you do it? What did you do? And, and we, we showed them the model. Well, fast forward to May of 22, and multiple school boards were taken over by more conservative candidates in Tarrant County, Keller ISD, Mansfield ISD, Grapevine Colleyville ISD, and they followed the model that we created in Southlake. So uh, we talked about those things that matter today. We talked about our country is an amazing country, and uh, we've got to fight to keep it. And there's a, another side that doesn't love our country. And it was great when, in the 80s, when we had two parties that loved America and thought America was the greatest place in the history of the world, well, we don't have that anymore. We have one that, by and large, the people that are pushing that party hate our country, and then we have a party, my party, the Republican Party, that still loves our country and wants to fight for us. So that's what we talked about, and it resonated with voters. What was cool is in that five-person race, we, we got 57% of the vote, but in Fort Worth where she was mayor for a decade, we actually won Fort Worth outright with 52.4% to her 384 wow. So voters responded, and uh, it's, it, was, uh, it was just a really neat thing to be a part of. They're real, I really believe that there is a movement going on, not just in our county, but really across the country, that is saying, enough's enough. We're, we're not going to let this happen to our country anymore, and we're going to stand up and fight. I'm seeing more people stand up and fight in school board uh, auditoriums, uh, chambers, if you will. I'm seeing more people show up to this. I mean, I was in a, a SD10 a little while ago when Dan Patrick came in, and he said, how many of you are first-time attendees? And it was about half the room. I mean, and, and you go to any of these Republican clubs, and you see new people and people that have never been politically active before. All they've ever done is go vote in November's, and now they are coming out and working and volunteering. It's really cool to see, and I think there's going to be a real awakening come November. What are the biggest issues facing Tarrant County right now? So I, I, there, ish, one issue is property taxes. So with our property tax rate, the combined rate that I mentioned earlier, I mean, our property taxes are sky high. Now, Yes, the county is, you know, not the biggest part of it, but it's still a big part of it. And we've got to do something to get property taxes under control. I've proposed a 20% property tax rate cut, and uh, I'm hearing from folks that, oh, that's going to be difficult. And, well, making cuts and making change always is difficult. But we are taxing people out of their homes. 
Uh, that's a big issue. Another big issue is we got to continue to fight this anti-American, um, hate our country teaching that's going on in our schools, going on amongst young people. Now, people will say to me, well, what does the county judge have to do with that? Well, the county judge can be a leader in the county and look no further than Dallas County. Um, there's a guy over there, this county judge, that uh, I probably believe the polar opposite of every single political belief that he has. However, he's done an incredible job of getting people in that county to swing full blue, and a county has gone so blue, it's sad to see. And, and the county judge can stand up with that bully pulpit or with the microphone or calling press conferences or bringing attention to things. So we got to make sure CRT is out of all of our schools. And I know that the legislature passed a law to address it, and that's good. I applaud that. But it doesn't stop a lot of radical um, educators that want to teach it from doing it. So we've got to clean it out of our county. And we've got to tell people about how amazing America is and counter this rhetoric. We also, in the county, you know, and that people, most people don't want to hear about transportation issues. That's a big chunk of what county government is. The hospital district, that's a big chunk of what county government does. Um, there's lots of functions that the county government does, and it, it, we're always for good government. And good government means you're watching the dollars spent like a hawk. You watch it closer than you would watch your own money. And, uh, and so that's something that I will bring to the table is, I, I, you know, as a lawyer, I watch my client's money like, like it is my own and guard it. And we got to have that kind of mindset amongst elected, elected officials because it's our money. And sometimes when people stay there too long, they think it's their money. And uh, it isn't. It's other people's money. So it's real easy to spend other people's money. Well, that's not the way you should look at it. And, and I think a final thing uh, facing our county, you know, now that it's getting close to November, Democrats are uh, s slowing it down on this defund the police. All the police are bad because they see it's a, a, a loser in a campaign, even amongst their own people. But we got to make sure that Tarrant County is a strong law and order county. You know, in our neighbor to the east in Dallas County, you steal something. As long as you don't use a knife or a gun or a weapon and it's under $750, the DA won't even prosecute you. And, I mean, what kind of lawlessness does that promote and uh, what kind of chaos does that create? So we are going to be, if I'm elected county judge, we will be a strong law and order county. And uh, it's time to stop this. Uh, it's society's fault for every time there's a crime committed. It's the individual's fault. And, yes, you may not have had the best upbringing or, no, you may have had some bad breaks. But at the end of the day, we're all responsible for ourselves. And uh, we're going to be tough on crime there if I'm county judge. Wonderful. Thank you for your time. Hey, you're welcome. Good to be here always. This is Holly Hansen here with the Texan News. I'm here with Alexandra Del Morale Mueller, who is running for Harris County Judge. For listeners who are not aware, Harris mm -hmm. County is the most populous county in the state of Texas, third most populous in the nation. What happens in Harris County is very important throughout the nation. But Alex is running as a Republican. She came out of a nine-way primary and uh, handily beat a, an opponent in a runoff election, and now she's shifting to the general election. Alex, a lot of people say that Harris County is hopelessly blue and a Republican has no chance to win in this county. What do you say to that? 
I would say I don't think anyone in Harris County opted in for the policies we have right now. And so while on national issues, people probably do tilt uh, towards the Democrat Party, uh, what's happening here right now in Harris County is a pretty extreme form of government. Um, you know, they really have tried to make our county into this test bed or, you know, as Lena herself would say, let's make this a progressive model that could be exported around. Uh, and that's really where it's gone too far that fundamentally they've positioned themselves as being anti-law enforcement, anti-traditional criminal justice. So within their own party, they have a break of what I would call law and order traditional Democrats. And so... That's the part where certainly understand top line uh, levels, but when it, if we can actually get people to drill down to the issues, I'm very confident that people would rather see the type of government that I'm proposing versus what we have here. I fundamentally don't believe that Harris County residents voted for what we've seen here on Commissioner's Court. And you're running against incumbent judge yes. Lena Hidalgo, who has enacted quite a few changes to the way county government operates and the role of county government. One of the biggest concerns, though, among residents is rising crime. And so what would you do as county judge to address that rising crime problem? Sure. Well, one of the big pieces with rising crime, as you know, with Adrian Garcia, Lena Hidalgo, and Rodney Ellis, they signed that consent decree. And in signing this consent decree, the O'Donnell settlement was a legal settlement that tr fundamentally transformed misdemeanor bail reform. And we have seen it uh, bleed into felony. That's always the big uh, discussion. But they essentially, with signing that document, said, you know what, judges, we're taking away your responsibility and we're going to put these blanket rules. And so one of the things that doesn't get enough coverage or attention, you start looking at these general order bonds. You know, general order bonds are a blanket rule of offenses that you don't even see a judge. It is quite literally the epitome of a uh, revolving door. You know, at least with the PR bonds, the personal reconnaissance or pinky square, uh, there's still the ability to put in conditions of jail. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, at least, hey, sobriety, we're doing checks. And that's what's really uh, part of it is that created these general order bonds along with this cashless bail system. Um, but really, this government has been typified by centralizing power, taking it away from elected officials, and you do see that in the criminal justice. So number one is putting the judges back in that seat. I'm hoping very hard to also get a new slate of judges elected that enforce the law. And then really the power with me and Commissioner's Court is our funding decisions. Uh, so, you know, I think you covered very succinctly, 82% of law enforcement budget requests were denied. Uh, we have critically starved and stressed our criminal justice system to the point where we just have general lawlessness, and that is my number one priority. Excellent. And with that O'Donnell consent decree, a new department was created in the county. It was called the Justice Administration Department. I think there was a name change to that last week. I'm not sure why the name was changed. But, you know, what would be your plans as county judge about what to do with all the spending that's going into the Justice Administration Department or whatever it's going to be called? You know, is there still a role for that department or would the responsibility shift? That's the, the bigger point that I'm just trying to get back to is that, again, unelected bureaucrats, that was part of, we have now federal monitors. You know, that was part of the challenge that we raised the amicus brief to highlight is really the federal government has no business in state bail bond decisions. Uh, we are the only county that now has federal monitors, you know, intently uh, into our daily operations. And part of it is through this Justice Administration Department uh, where they are tracking their data. And 
You know, it is a huge problem that we have such a different data set between what our elected district attorney is putting out and what this Justice Administration Department, and I really do believe they've lost their credibility. Uh, we sent a couple years ago to argue against felony bail re reform, Justice Administration Department member, you know, who had that he was for the abolition of all prisons. Um, so it has been a very extreme for, or interpretation where, you know, pretrial detention is used in all but the most limited circumstances, and there's no shortage of data uh, supporting that fact. And Excellent. And you are among the few people who filed an amicus brief in relation to the O'Donnell consent decree. Um, not a lot of people realize this, but O'Donnell is in jeopardy due to a case coming out of Dallas County at this point. Tell us a little bit about that amicus brief and what prompted you to get involved there. Uh, with me, just realizing just how, when you see the crime surge statistics, uh, that this is more than just funding. Funding is certainly a critical, um, but what's happened with this attack on misdemeanor fail reform is you've seen an escalation of force and all these headlines the most egregious crimes we're seeing in Harris County uh, even this last week for example I live in the Heights nine-year-old girl executed you know it doesn't get a lot of news coverage but the guy was out on five felony bonds and before that it's misdemeanor so as these people keep getting routinely released and there's no consequences uh, because they're not especially with general order bonds where they're not getting actually help for them where you know if it's a sobriety problem they're not having those monitor controls they're escalating to a point where now we're talking about very serious felons and that's part of also what I attribute to the amount of law enforcement that have been killed so 14 law enforcement killed since Lena took office uh, unprecedented typically zero to one a year um, but that's what's happening with these shootouts more and more because now these people that are out because of the revolving door on these misdemeanor um, and they're taking that similar approach on some of these felonies that they have everything to lose. And so once you realize that there's just been this fundamental break, um, for me that was a basic question. Well, how are these people going on on bail? Texas Constitution says five-factor analysis where we do factor in public safety um, and we do factor in likeliness to appear. Um, felony courts at this point, almost 80% don't show up. You know, that's unprecedented. Wow. It used to be in the 20s. Um, before this was enacted. So I really, just as a concerned citizen, uh, wanted to know what was happening and so different. Uh, and that's where, like I said, even kind of breaking out this general order bond, where did this come from? Oh, it came from O'Donnell. Right. And so I think for all of us, it's a bit offensive that there was a federal uh, legal settlement that is now in contradiction uh, with our state constitution and our state law. Um, and so that is when we saw that in Davies, you know, had a ruling that it would seem to apply in this case. And um, I spoke in commissioner's court in support of Commissioner Cagle. Uh, and at this point, we haven't seen any action uh, by our county attorney to take that up. Uh, I know they did a closed executive session. Uh, but with getting a 3-2 vote, uh, challenging O'Donnell settlement would be a key priority. Uh, it was a $100 million legal settlement that we've paid. And that's where funding uh, from JAD and those other things. But uh, to me, the short answer is this is what institutionalized a very radical form of bail reform that is resulting in the loss of uh, innocent victims, uh, youth very uh, routinely, unfortunately, as well. And last question, and we'll wrap this up. As you're campaigning, now you're pivoting to a general yes. election. Are you doing outreach in some of the communities that may be non-traditional Republican communities? Some we might expect to, to lean more to the left side of the aisle. No, that is uh, geographically the big split now. Uh, just by virtue of being in a runoff, and I would say our runoffs are too long. 
Uh, it, it ties you up in areas that are more Republican strongholds. So my big focus, uh, I was just out in the East End the last few days, is trying to get out of um, the traditional Republican bastions, um, know that we need to represent. It's kind of a big difference. Is even in our Harris County government, right now it's all partisan divide. You know, it's something we've never seen in Harris County, where you go one, two, three, four levels down purging uh, departments. I really want my campaign to be for Harris County, all of it. Uh, and right now, even the most basic decisions are being tainted with how does that politically advantage me the best. Mm -hmm. And we're really seeing a shift in resources uh, based on political alignment instead of what I would say, trying to make decisions really based on where's the most good we can get for the most people countywide. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. We wish you the best of luck. I appreciate it. Thank you, Holly. Howdy, folks. Mackenzie Taylor here with Carrie Isaac, the Republican nominee. Is it House District 73? Is that how the redistricting shook out? That's correct. 73. Wow. Thank you, you for go. having me. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for coming. I'd love to hear Brad Johnson wrote an incredible piece on your election night debacle. It was crazy watching the returns come in and watch, you know, we saw, we thought for a while that, you know, your opponent might win and then come to find out that you actually ended up victorious. And I think Brad was at your victory party and, you know, everyone was kind of watching very quietly. Spirits were kind of low. He went over to your opponent's party and they were celebrating. Come to find out you would win in the end. How was that night for you? Yes. So I was down early voting came out. I was down, you know, a few hundred votes. And but I do believe that your more conservative voters vote Election Day. Mm. And I know that because I knocked over 3000 doors and the very conservative red meat voters are like, no, I always vote Election Day. So I still felt like I would pull it out. And I said, my voters are showing up Election Day. Let's not, you know, this isn't an indication of how this is going. So. <clears throat> keep coming out votes keep coming out and I'm down I'm still down I'm still down one box left I'm down 400 votes we're like well yeah this doesn't look too good yeah. well and then I asked um, I think it was Micah was on the computer and I said Micah where is that last box <laughs> and he said Bulverde well, I looked over at Patty Johnson, and we gave each other the biggest smile because we knew I still had a chance because we knew Bulverde would come through for me. Mm. I won that last box by 85%. Wow. Do you remember what the margin – I'm trying to remember what the margin was at that final that 271. Final you know the exact number. Yeah, I do. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's incredible. How was it after redistricting? I mean, you'd run previously in House District 45. Yes. Which is the seat your husband held previously. Yes. Um, flips to the Democrats. And then you all went at after again with a new mm -hmm. candidate from the family trying to flip it back for the Republicans. You were campaigning in a new district or at least partially new district. You still mm -hmm. had Hayes and Comal. What was it like campaigning in Comal County and trying to meet new voters there? It was a blast. I love Comal County. I tell people, you know, when I knock doors in Comal County, people are so nice it takes me so much longer to knock doors because I just want to sit there and have a conversation and I need to keep moving I don't <laughs> want to because people are so nice but I campaigned for my husband in Comal County before when he ran for Congress oh of so course. I was I've, I was a known person there I knew all the activists there already actually when when my husband ran in 2010 the Canyon Lake Republican women came and knocked doors for him Oh, and, wow. And so, Full circle. Yeah, so I, I actually knew voters there for over a decade wow. already. And activists in Canyon Lake mainly and um, Bulverde also, Spring Branch. So um, 
yes, I did meet a lot of new voters, but I knew a lot of the activists there already. You're returning so to old was, friends. Yes, it was great. That's awesome. So what are the big issues facing your district? Well, I, I believe that our issues in Texas, which, you know, I know that we don't have a sovereign nation without a secure border mm -hmm. and secure elections. And I will fight to secure both of those. I believe that's the most important things we can do. But my hot button issue is property taxes. I believe that property ownership is a right, and I will fight for that right. I believe we should own our property once and for all. And I want to start by eliminating our, our school maintenance and operations portion of our property tax bill. Economists say that we can pay that down and totally eliminate that tax in about 10 to 12 years. You know, we have about $13 billion in excess revenue right now that we could, re that's our money. Return it to the taxpayers. People are hurting and struggling. It's, we have widows that should own their home. They've paid their homes off. And some of these people, their property taxes are more expensive than what their mortgage was. It's insane. It's sad. People are really hurting. Uh, I spoke with another woman that is renting out a room in her home just so she can stay in a home that she's paid off. And she's in her 80s. She should own her home. It's wrong. This is the hill I will die on. We need to eliminate property taxes. Very good. Governor Abbott came out in support of uh, the state paying yeah. the school maintenance and operations portion about, I don't know, five or six weeks ago yeah. publicly. So I, I'm really excited. I believe we can do it. Property taxes will always be on the docket until that is, you know, until taxpayers feel a little bit of reprieve, I feel like. Now, going into the session, what do you think in light of the last two years since, since the legislature has met will be top of the ticket? What items do you think will be hot, kind of contentious among Republicans and Democrats? What do you see as being those top issues that they're uh, fighting over? Well, I know talking with voters that they're really angry that nothing was done last session about gender child gender modification. And I believe with what's gone on in that, with that issue publicly and in the media, I think people are ready now to tackle that issue. So I believe that's one that will be tackled, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, the border is, so the border, when I was talking doors, the border was the number one issue I was hearing from. And I believe that that's the most important. But when everybody's valuations came out, all of a sudden voters wanted to talk about property taxes. So there you go. So yeah, I'm sorry I keep saying the same thing, but it's property taxes, election security, and and uh, border security. People care about those and, issues um, big yeah. time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for stopping by, and I uh, hope you have a fun convention. Well, thank you. It's yeah. good seeing you. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt Stringer with the Texan News here at the Republican Party State Convention Exhibit Hall in Houston, Texas. And I'm here with State Senator-elect Kevin Sparks from Senate District 31. Uh, Kevin, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we've uh, been several days now down in Houston. Uh, we've got roughly seven, 8,000 delegates uh, discussing all kinds of different matters of public party, uh, public policy and party business. Uh, Senate districts have been convening and electing local officials and um, kind of an interesting uh, turn of events in our uh, State Senate District 31 caucus. Uh, we got some new leaders out there and uh, kind of one of my thoughts on that was uh, how interesting is it in West Texas that we have a new state senate district, new SBOE, new state senator, new SBOE, new SREC members, and 
you're kind of the uh, leading the pack. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if I'm leading the pack on all of that, but I, you know, my <clears throat> politics is a very fluid thing, and so I think it's it's always inviting to have new and fresh ideas introduced. Um, leadership as well. I think one of the things, though, um, that is really good about Senate District 31, you know, we still have a lot of um, legacy members, a lot of people that have invested um, in our area for a lot of years. And so I think that really helps anchor things. But, uh, you know, the the onslaught of new ideas and new energy brought into our district I think will be a healthy thing. Oh, absolutely. For those listening that aren't quite familiar with the Senate districts, uh, Senate District 31 is, is, is a fresh map. It's kind of similar to the old, but it runs roughly from the Panhandle down to west and a little bit of central Texas, maybe. Uh, yeah, we, we get we actually we go all the way down to Schlacker County now, wow. Elder, Elderated, Texas. How many counties? A total of 45 now. Wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's about a seven-and-a-half-hour drive from El Dorado up to Stratford. Um, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of different major industries for the state out there, too. Well, I, you know, Senate District 31 actually represents, I believe, probably 40% or so of the state's whole economy when you, when you factor in energy and then agriculture up in the panhandle, which is both cattle and feed. Um, we represent a lot of um, economic um, diversity um, and power, really, for the whole state. Yeah, and uh, one of the fun things about that is, is I, I believe you are uh, one of the only, if not the only, member of the upper chamber who's going to come from oil and gas. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I believe I'm the only member that has any you know, practical um, production drilling and production experience in the oil and gas industry. I've been in the industry more than 35 years, um, and that, that's, been my, that's been my business, my focus, and, and one of the things that I think I really will bring to the Senate um, is some real expertise in that industry. And it's such a critical industry, not only for our state, but for our nation, actually, and we're seeing that play out currently. Is there uh, any particular issues on the horizon that you might be see coming up in the uh, new legislative session, or is all that still kind of formulating and up in the air? Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's all very much up in the air. You know, one of the issues that I think really needs to be addressed, we're still not where we need to be as far as securing our electric grid here in the state of Texas. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's still quite a bit of policy, I think, that needs to be formulated to make sure that these more than 1,500 people a day that are moving to Texas um, have the energy that it's going to take to continue to drive our economy. Yeah, that's a major issue is, is doing everything possible to ensure Texans continuously have a reliable source of energy on the grid. Right. Um, another one of the big industries there in SD31 is the agriculture industry. Uh, what are you kind of hearing from uh, some of the leaders in that industry and uh, are there any issues uh, in that area in particular that are uh, coming to the surface? Sure. Um, well right now they're suffering from very high input costs um, obviously they use a lot of natural gas in their um, ear on the farm side from for irrigation 
their fertilizer costs are up three or four times from last year uh, and I think that's something that's going to it's going to ultimately be a um, an issue for all consumers because food costs will necessarily um, be escalating. Right. Um, yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was here, dressed the uh, convention delegates, and got a huge round of applause, very support. Um, how excited are you to be working with Lieutenant Governor Patrick on some of his legislative priorities? I know one of the things he touched on yesterday was election integrity. Uh, and uh, are, are you already pretty well familiar with the other members that will be incoming and getting to know them? So since I, since I don't have an opponent in November, and I'm very fortunate in, in that respect, um, I've already had an opportunity to begin meeting a lot of what will be my colleagues in the Senate, um, developing relationships with them, trying to kind of understand their areas of expertise and, and, I, and how I can complement that. I am looking forward to working with the lieutenant governor as we you know election integrity is a huge deal yeah obviously uh, we, we've seen what that looks like if we can't have and be guaranteed fair and and uh, secure elections absolutely um here's kind of one of our uh last questions and then if there's anything else you want to highlight feel feel free to absolutely chime in but what are you most excited about regarding your first upcoming session as a new member of the upper chamber well, that's an interesting question. I, you know, excited. Kind of open. Yeah, excited <laughs> may not be the right word. A um, little intimidating. It is a little intimidating. Obviously, I come from the business sector, um, which I think is a really healthy perspective coming into politics. And did you and ever see yourself running? I no. Uh, this time last year, I had not contemplated ever running for public office, and so um, a little intimidating. Uh, it it is a process, and that's part of. My goal between now and December is to get up to speed on all the on the workings of actually um, um, creating legislation. I, I know we're gonna, I know I'm going to have a lot of help, um, but you know more than anything, I want to bring good practical business experience to any policy that we you know that we consider um, because in my mind, what we have to be mindful as legislators, we have to be creating policy that is sustainable long-term for our citizens. Looking down the future. That's right. Not not just knee-jerk reactions to something that's happened, but a thoughtful process of something that 10 years from now will still make sense for the citizens of Texas. Sounds like a great mindset for an upcoming legislative session in the Texas Senate. Well, I hope so, and I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Um, this is uh, concluding the last day here at uh, the Republican Party State Convention, and uh, we just got through t- discussing uh, some of the issues facing West Texans with State Senator-elect Kevin Sparks. Thank you so much once again, Kevin. Thank you, Matt. This is Holly Hansen with the Texan News. I'm here at the Republican Party convention this morning with Charles Cunningham, who recently won a Republican primary race to replace retiring Representative Dan Huberty in District 127, which is the Humble and Kingwood area. 
gladly for Mr. Cunningham. He is unopposed this fall, so unlike some of the other folks we've talked to this week, he does not have a race to continue to pursue, so he's set to be sworn in this year. How are you doing this morning, Mr. Cunningham? Holly, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a fun weekend here at yes, the convention. Yes, it is. Yes. You also served on the Humble ISD School Board and the Humble City Council, and so we would assume that you're pretty well plugged into your community. And so our question for you this morning is, what are the top priorities for the residents of your district? What do you hope to accomplish in your first session? Well, Holly, I, I tell you, I have been plugged in over 40 years living in the area. And uh, I, I tell you, the prop, top one is going to be our, our, our flood mitigation. Uh, state Representative Huberty and a few of the other state reps have been working on things and we want to continue to keep that going on so that we continue to try to work with the San Jacinto River Authority, the City of Houston to uh, find a solution to the flood mitigation and then uh, the next one is, is public safety. Uh, Harris County is the number one, uh, I tell you, crime area here in Texas. Uh, criminals come to Harris County to do their dirt. They won't even go to Montgomery County. So I got to find out what Montgomery County is doing. Right. But I think we know the answer. But uh, that and then of course lately it's been the uh, electric uh, infrastructure. And uh, being an employee with Centerpoint Energy for 39 years, I think I, uh, I, think I have a little know-how uh, on how that works and, and what we can do to probably uh, make that system harden that grid, as we would say. Very good. Those sounds like great priorities. What about the education issue? Are you hearing anything from your community about any changes they would like to see at the legislative level for uh, education in the state of Texas? You know, I haven't talked to all my superintendents. I have I have five school districts in, in District 127, the largest being Humble ISD. And so I have met with Dr. Elizabeth Fagan. Uh, some of the things are more like local, local control, because we had this issue uh, with the Harris County judge, Lena Hidalgo, basically trying to tell schools, districts what to do. And so we've been talking about certain things that we can probably do in the legislature to hopefully alleviate uh, interference from, uh, you know, from our local government uh, folks. Very good. And since you have smooth sailing from here on out as far yes. as the election goes, yes. what kind of things have you uh, been engaging in to try to help some of the other Republicans that are on the ballot in Harris County? Well, and I did mention Lena Hidalgo, so I am working very hard. And as you can see, we both got our, our, our Alex Miller uh, stickers on here. Uh, working closely with Alex, we were in contact with each other yesterday. Uh, also with our judges. And uh, real quick, like, we need to get good judges that are going to, you know, actually come to work. And, you know, make sure we put these criminals and stop this revolving door. Uh, I had an issue uh, back in December. Uh, bit, uh, broke, they used a car, basically drove through my house. Uh, long story short, once we did DNA and testing and all this stuff, these were repeat offenders who were out on bail. So this systemic, systemic problem is just rampant here in Harris County. So uh, we need a good, uh, you know, uh, county judge. And so I'm working hard for Alex, working hard for the judges uh, that are there. Brad Hart, I've been knowing him for years. He's, he's actually running. He got swept out. So we're going to be working our group. Northeast uh, Harris County is, is on board and we're pushing. 
Very good, yes. There are quite a few judicial races on the ballot in Harris County and elsewhere in the state. Unfortunately, those are down ballot, and so we're trying to get people to pay attention to those races. Absolutely, just get get them engaged. And we were were pleased with, uh, with, with the early vote numbers that we had. And so I, I think that we're going to be able to do what we can to actually get those people who have been on the fence who think it doesn't matter, that this does matter. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what the outcome is. I'm expecting a good outcome in November. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. We wish you the best of luck and uh, enjoy your time in the legislature. Thank you, Holly. And thank you for being kind to me today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Brad Johnson, reporter with The Texan. I've got Caroline Harris here with me. She's a Republican nominee for House District 52 in Williamson County. Caroline, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So she is running in House District 52, as I mentioned, in Williamson County. She just won the runoff for the Republican Party, and now she is facing a Democrat in November. What's the campaign looking like for you going into November? It looks very, very good. Uh, I think this cycle, any Republican race, looks really good, but my district is kind of 55-45, so it's a little tighter than some of the other districts, but I do have the benefit of having gone through a runoff. I've been to a lot of doors already. Mm -hmm. I went to almost 5,000 just myself, uh, and that was an amazing experience, and so I'm really excited about adding to that number for November, and I'm also really excited just finding new, unique ways to get more people motivated to get out and vote. Okay. It's... It's a really interesting dynamic because you are currently a Senate staffer yes, for Senator Brian Hughes, but now <laughs> yeah. you are running for office. What has that been? Yes, um, that has been actually such a gift because Senator Hughes has been my mentor for the past seven years that I've worked in the legislature, and he was the first person to just invest in me and explain politics and mm-hmm. how everything works and to be able to call him and just ask him questions yeah. and get his advice is just amazing. And so I just went back to work full time recently and that's been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate it. What uh, kind of policy do you focus on in his office? So in his office, I work on a broad range of things. He's a chairman of the State Affairs Committee in the Senate. And a lot so, of stuff goes through that. Yes, yeah. yeah, a lot of policy. And so kind of the high-level policies that were passed this past session include the heartbeat bill, the election integrity bill, the build a ban critical race theory in schools. Mm. So I got to be a policy advisor with all of that. And mm. then I also like um, health care reform. That okay. just very much interests me Very complicated. Well. Topic, yes, yeah. yes, it is, and a lot of people don't want to get involved yeah. in it, but I love Somebody it. Has to. Uh, yes, and it's such a good opportunity to bring conservative values into a mm-hmm. field that just traditionally does not have is not set up in yeah. that way. So yeah. I, that's why I like it. Okay, well, should you win in November yeah. and make it into the state house next mm-hmm. session, what are some of the things you're going to want to do? Um, whether it's the first Billy file or yes. a few of them, whatever. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So that is the benefit of knocking doors and knocking so many doors is you get to know your constituency. You know what they want you to work on when you go to Austin. And one of the top things I heard over and over again was the border. Okay. You know, we've got to secure the border. In Williamson and County, too. Yes, absolutely. Like Cameron County, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're, you know, we're not close. Right. But uh, I actually went down to the border during my campaign. I was the only candidate that did that. And when I was there, I was talking to the sheriff of Del Rio. That's where I was at. And I asked him, how does the border impact Williamson County? You know, yeah. it's it's uh, more of a suburban area than the border 
I mean, you know, what, what are we facing? And he said he had a gang member in his jail in Del Rio from Austin. This guy lived in Austin, worked, you know, had his family there. And he mm-hmm. said if they're in Austin, they're in Williamson County. He said nothing that happens at the border stays there. And so that's been something that I hear all the time at Doors. And mm-hmm. so I'm really looking forward to working with all of the other members, the governor, the speaker, lieutenant governor in working on securing the border. Yeah. And then locally, infrastructure is a huge deal in Williamson mm-hmm. County. We are growing so fast. I know everyone knows Samsung's moving into Taylor. Yep. So those roads really need to be fixed and we just need to prepare for the growth that's coming i mean we're already exploding but it's coming yeah i think you guys are if not the top one of the top growing counties in the state right yes we are and part of that is because austin has become a mini california yeah the crime rates are so high you know the cost of living is absolutely insane Mm -hmm. and so everyone's moving north into williamson county and um, so one other thing that the across the whole state they'll have to deal with, but especially in Williamson County, is yeah. stress on schools with more people coming in. Yes. Um, I know you have uh, talked a lot about school um, situ- school policy yes. uh, in your race. Anything absolutely. specific there that you think it needs to be addressed? Yeah, absolutely. When I, again, going back to the doors, when I would talk to people about, you know, what is one of your top concerns, education definitely came up. Yep. And people want to have more of a say parents want to have more of a choice and so that is something I heard over and over again I think that we need to get the public education system back to reading writing and arithmetic we just have to Mm -hmm. and we need to expand options for school choice in this state we need to give parents more of a say in what education model fits their child the best yeah you know we just need to empower parents more in this day and age so I'm excited to work on that well, Governor Abbott has said that uh, school choice, he expects a large push uh, when the legislature yes. reconvenes. So we'll see what kind of that, how that shakes out. But Absolutely. should you make it there, that is something that will probably be on your plate. Yes. Um, Caroline, good Absolutely. luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Uh, thank you for stopping by. And yes. we're excited to see how this turns out. Thank you. And I just want to add one yeah, more thing. Um, something that I discovered after I ran, I'll be the youngest Republican female ever elected to the Texas House if I win in November. Wow. And I'm a bit of a Texas history nerd. So that is yeah. a really cool thing that I just learned. And I'm really excited about that. But while you, were, you would be the youngest, you you are by no means a legislative um, newbie. Yeah. You know, you've been in there for a while. You know how things operate. Yeah. Um, so, good luck the rest of the week, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoy our show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want more of our stories, subscribe to the Texan at thetexan.news. Follow us on social media for the latest in Texas politics and send any questions for our team to our mailbag by DMing us on Twitter or shooting an email to editor at thetexan.news. We are funded entirely by readers and listeners like you. So thank you again for your support. Tune in next week for another episode of our weekly roundup. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.